Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you uh, for this evening. Thank you for your word, uh, for uh, being a God who uh, has spoken, uh, that you've uh, revealed yourself clearly and authoritatively uh, through uh, the words of your holy prophets and apostles. I pray that you'd teach us and instruct us uh, through uh, the salvation that's in your Son uh, and by, by your Spirit. I pray that you'd uh, renew our hearts and minds to uh, believe your word, uh, that we'd be conformed evermore to the likeness and image of uh, your uh, only uh, Son. Uh, and I pray that you'd equip us to uh, use the, the gifts uh, and the opportunities, the stewardship that you've given us to uh, build up uh, the uh, body of your son uh, and uh, that we would uh, look to uh, his coming uh, and our eternal hope. And so uh, we thank you for these things and pray that uh, your spirit would be with us. Amen. Okay, so we're back in Genesis, and you know, you guys weren't here. Um, I have to get the uh, behind. I, I came online uh, next couple of days. I have some free time, uh, but we're actually going to be going back over some, some of the stuff that we did last week, but covering some new ground as well with the fourth day of creation. So that's the good news. So open up, up to Genesis, if you're not there already. And so uh, beginning with the fourth day, uh, we transition uh, from the, the beginning where uh, the creation uh, account is introduced. And so uh, we start at in the beginning, that's the context in time uh, that, that frames, uh, anchors what, what follows. It's not the main point. The main point of that sentence is God created the heavens and the earth. But the, the context in which he did so is in the, the beginning. Uh, and God created the heavens and the earth. Stop there. That kind of covers everything in the whole creation account. Uh, it's very general. It's very broad. If you just stop there uh, and kind of moved on to the next section, everything else kind of unpacks that, uh, doesn't it? Uh, but you don't have the full <coughs> themes of completion that are going to come into it at the end. Uh, and so going from there, from sort of a broad view, you see a similar statement with the tabernacle uh, in this uh day of this month, of this year, uh, Moses erected the tabernacle. And Moses erected the tabernacle. <laughs> and then it goes, and goes through all the, the details of that. But still looking at, at the broad, now you go to, to verse 2, we start to get into the, the particulars of it, where now we see the earth in its incomplete state. It's not finished. Uh, the, the creation hasn't been brought to its completion uh, so the earth was without form and void. 
and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And there, over the first three days, now we've seen that formlessness, or however we want to translate it, it's kind of like this uh, this nothingness, almost kind of like a desert, barren uh, wilderness or uh, wasteland. It, it's not finished. Uh, it can't hold uh, inhabitants. Uh, and so over these first three days, God brings light into the darkness uh, and he begins to make separations uh, and order uh, from sort of this uh, undifferentiated or, uh, I mean, the, the earth covered in waters, uh, very much like it will be after the uh, the peak of the flood in, in Noah's day when you have this reversal uh, from creation to almost uncreation with the judgment that God brings. And so, uh, Ryan, would you like to read through the uh, first three days, uh, just so we have that in mind, and then we'll look at uh, day, uh, day four. All right, starting in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness and called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. I know. <clears throat> I apologize because you just had a cold and I just made you read through <laughs> I made it. the first, first three days. Uh, uh, well, well done. <laughs> uh, I'll uh, try to keep that in mind. <laughs> um, so, so now uh, we go from where there's darkness, he brings forth the light. Uh, where there were uh, only the waters over the earth, uh, you, so you have separation of light and darkness. Then on day two, the separation of the waters below from the waters above. He names them uh, heavens. Uh, in the first day, uh, he names the, the light day and the darkness night. Day two calls the expanse, or this vault of heaven, uh, heavens. Uh, and then day three, twice God speaks uh, to create, uh, as he will on day six, that's unique. Uh, bringing forth, uh, the, or gathering the waters uh, into to one place, or gathering uh, and the dry land uh, then uh, appearing. 
on the earth and he calls the uh, dry land earth uh, and the waters that were gathered together he calls seas and then finally bringing forth the vegetation which he's going to give to all of his creatures uh, on, at the end of the sixth day. It'll be God's provision. And so now you have a fruitful habitation uh, that God will now populate uh, with uh, all of his creatures uh, in the luminaries on days four through six. Uh, in day four strongly parallels day one uh, with light and darkness, but uh, the luminaries are also placed in the heavens, the expanse above. Uh, so it's a little more complicated than uh, sometimes it's broken, broken down. Uh, and so day four does have strong parallel uh, back with uh, the sequence with day one. After going through days one through three, you still need day two uh, uh, after day one and before day three and day three before day four. And so there, there's a flow to this. But then day four, if you look at the, the first six days, day three and four kind of come at the middle. But if you look at all seven days, day four uh, would be right in the middle of the, the week. Uh, and it would actually be uh, kind of like parallel to our Wednesday, which is convenient. Today is a Wednesday. So now God will begin to fill the creation uh, with the, the luminaries. So uh, we covered this last week, so we'll just give kind of an overview, but I want to dig a little deeper into uh, some of the issues here. And so now with uh, day four, uh, as we already spoke about, uh, fill it with the luminaries uh, in the heavens above, and so we'll uh, look and see that day four begins with a command, just like all the other days, God's speaking uh, that governs all things. Uh, along, uh, followed immediately by a report, it was so. Uh, and then we'll follow up with uh, the action of his creating, or actions, uh, and his evaluation. Uh, and so, uh, looking at the command and report, we're going to focus on the function uh, of, the, of the lights. We'll see kind of uh, three uh, primary uh, groupings uh, that uh, give their uh, function that God uh, appoints uh, for them. And so verse uh, 14, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And so beginning in verse 14, God speaks, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. So that's first function. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and uh, years. Second uh, function, uh, where you have uh, kind of these uh, time indicators. Uh, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon uh, the earth. 
Uh, and so first we see this uh, separation uh, as God places the luminaries uh, in the heavens. Uh, and the ESV has lights, uh, but we, we use lights that way. Uh, but the, uh, the word isn't just uh, or, uh, or, uh, or uh, light, but uh, which has to do with uh, light-bearing objects. And so it's focusing on the, the luminaries, the light-bearing ob- objects that give forth light, uh, not just the, like the, the light itself. Uh, and so with this first function to separate the day uh, and the night, uh, this really reinforces what we already saw on day one, where you have the separation of the light and the darkness, and uh, God uh, names them uh, day uh, and night. And so you have this separation. Now you have a further separation uh, that's sort of reinforcing that uh, now, where originally you just had the light that God brought forth, kind of like at the end of creation, uh, that God will will be the light uh, and and the lamp. Uh, The lamp will be the the lamp uh, and give light uh, to uh, the creation. And there won't be sun, moon, might say stars, but uh, sun and moon won't, uh, won't be there. Uh, but now on day four, uh, you have the light-bearing objects that are uh, created, the luminaries. Uh, and uh, with this separation, just look back quickly at day one. So uh, verse three, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning the first day. So bringing light into darkness. Now day four, again, you have light. And so this is part of resolving the issue of the darkness uh, and reinforcing uh, the, the separation. And so uh, with the, uh, the greater light that we'll see, I'm going to word sun, uh, but with the, the greater light, uh, you have the, the brightness and the heat of the greater light by day, or the, the sun, uh, and then uh, the cool glow of the moon uh, by, by night, uh, creating these distinctions between uh, day and night. Uh, and they also say, uh, as we get to the end, uh, light and darkness. So reinforcing the original separation. Uh, and day and night, uh, that regulates all of our I mean, it's kind of basic building block of our lives uh, that set, establishes the rhythm, uh, the order uh, of our, our lives and sleep and wake cycles and work and uh, rest. Uh, it's fundamental to everything else that we'll be seeing uh, with the uh, other functions uh, dealing with larger units of time uh, in creation. Uh, and so... God orders uh, all of his creation in light and darkness and time uh, in the, the rhythms of life. Uh, and so if you just even think about like work and, and sleep, uh, I don't know if you guys are ever kind of like, oh man, the, the day it, it's coming to an end. You know, I, I have a lot of work left to do. <laughs> um, and it, it's coming to an end. God's sovereign over that. You know, we're, we're finite, we're limited. God establishes the boundaries of time. Some people have to work night shifts, uh, which I don't think is really created for, but, you know, some people have to deal with it. And you think of, like, the different watches of the night that you can, like, read through uh, in the Bible. But 
like God sets up the order of, of time for day and work and sleep and rest. Um, I remember, uh, well, if it was maybe something I read from John Piper years ago, he just, he referred to a psalm uh, that says that, or maybe someone else uh, referred to it, uh, that God gives rest to his holy ones, to his people. Why do you, why do you labor all day uh, and, and all night for bread? God gives rest to his holy ones. And so uh, we're, we're finite, we're limited. God establishes the cycles of day and night. Yep. And like you said, we also see throughout scripture that God is sovereign over the sun and the lights. You see that when they're taking the promised land, God pauses the sun in the <laughs> in the sky mm-hmm. and the Israelites can completely destroy their enemies. And I think in some of the, the first kings or second kings, you've got the, the one king asking for a sign and he's bringing back the sun a few steps and bringing it forward. Hezekiah. Yeah, Hezekiah. Yeah, yeah we saw that in Isaiah. That's yeah, we'll look at some of that. Oh, okay, good deal. Uh, especially the... Joshua one, so yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Two connections <laughs> just reinforces my plan, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the, with the the first function, it reinforces the separation of day and night uh, as we come to the end and see that God will uh, create them, make them, and place them. It'll reinforce that uh, with the separation, I believe, of light and uh, darkness because the light is named day and the darkness uh, night and so then to the second function uh, we see this uh, this grouping and so going from uh, the the original uh, God said let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens uh, to separate uh, the day from the night and so this isn't the highest heavens that transcends uh, the visible uh, realm uh, where, where God is. He's, he's in the, the invisible uh, realm that transcends uh, our human uh, experience in the heavens that uh, we can see. Uh, so he places them in the, I guess that'd be the, uh, perhaps the second heavens. Uh, but then following that, uh, to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days uh, and for years. And so we already spoke about this last week. Uh, and again, I just want to focus a little more because it's important. Even some things we we're kind of discussing in Sunday school as far as issues of signs uh, and true and false prophets uh, and things like that. But with the days and the years... Uh, again, uh, you have this element where, well, God's separating day and night. So you have daytime uh, and, and nighttime, which form two components of a day. And so you have day in the sense of, you know, I worked all day, I slept all night. Uh, and day is the, the period of daylight. Uh, we spoke about the different meanings that, uh, ideas that Yom can, can convey. And we see that. Uh, on day one, too. But now it moves on uh, and talks about uh, and let them be uh, for signs and for seasons and for uh, days and, uh, and years, uh, pairing these, uh, these groupings uh, together, uh, signs and seasons, days and uh, years. And so 
here now full days, like we see in, in the creation uh, from evening and morning, first day, second day, third day, uh, that's building blocks of weeks uh, and months uh, and years. Uh, and the, the years, uh, you even have groupings into seven years and 49 and 50 years with the Jubilees, uh, with Israel's uh, feasts uh, in different uh, periods. Uh, and so uh, the, the very building blocks of time uh, established uh, the rhythms of uh, seasons of uh, life uh, through all of these things. And so uh, time is not evil or bad. Or, and, and they're not deities, the luminaries, uh, but it's created good uh, and it's uh, limited and finite uh, created by uh, God. Maybe you'll touch on this topic a little more, but do you think, is it taking it too far to say that God kind of created these seasons and these times and these months and years to kind of point to the feasts that would occur in the Jewish times, which are really pointing to Christ to remind us about what he would do and what he did do and kind of Mm -hmm. bring those remembrance for his glory. And also, it seems like, as with most things, man can take something that God made as good with the seasons and turn them into pagan practices and turn them into things that, yeah, yeah, we have Christian Christian liberty on seasons and feasts and all these things, but we can take that too far in the wrong ways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so let's look. Let's look more, you know, days and years, that's that's a little more uh, basic. Uh, You're dealing with time, but, I mean, you, you have, themes and ideas that build off that, the day of the Lord and uh, things like that. But here, I mean, setting up the created order uh, that regulates uh, all of the periods of time uh, and seasons uh, for all of God's creatures uh, in creation. Uh, We'll see, to give light upon the earth. And so uh, the stage, uh, the focus isn't on the greater light and the lesser light and the stars, but it's on the earth where God's going to make his creatures and humanity as the culmination of his creation so that they'd be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and have dominion over it and rule on God's uh, behalf. And so uh, the, the luminaries serve these functions uh, in the, the created uh, order for humanity uh, and the earth and God's uh, creation. And so looking at, let's look at uh, seasons. I just want to touch on this a little more. Uh, And so last week uh, I had read, we don't have anyone who is here, uh, so I'll go ahead and uh, read uh, just a couple quotes, uh, one from the handbook handbook on Genesis uh, by William David Rayburn and Ewan Gregor Fry. Uh, Seasons translates a word derived from a term meaning to fix uh, appoint times. Uh, the reference is not mainly to the seasons of the year, but rather to fix times for carrying out human activities such as the stages of the agricultural cycle or festive celebrations. And so really it has to do with a fixed, uh, fixed time, a designated appointed uh, time. Uh, they can be of different uh, lengths and periods uh, and frequencies. 
uh, Kiel and Dielich uh, say uh, for seasons or for fixed definite times. Uh, not for feastal seasons merely, but to regulate definite points and periods of time by virtue of the, their periodical influence upon agriculture, navigation, and other human occupations, as well as upon the course of human, animal, and vegetable life. Uh, for example, uh, the breeding time of animals and the migration of birds. Let me point to uh, Jeremiah 8, verse 7, etc. So let's go ahead and look uh, to uh, Genesis chapter... Actually, we'll come back to that. Uh, let's go to Leviticus 23. And here you have uh, this section of uh, feasts uh, of the Lord. Uh, and this unit in chapter 3 also uh, is part of a bigger section that goes into the, the next chapter as well. Uh, perhaps the following ends up with the seven-year cycles and the, the jubilee. But uh, five times uh, you, you have breaking up where it re repeats this expression. Uh, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, and then while he is still talking, uh, in uh, verse 9, uh, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, uh, and then as you keep reading, uh, it repeats again in verse 23 with the Feast of Trumpets, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, in the Day of Atonement, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, in verse 33, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, and so even though he's still talking uh, the entire time, it helps break up all the sections and the commandments that Moses is giving, or that God is giving to Moses to speak to the people of Israel. And so you have these uh, five units, and then within them uh, you can have uh, one or more feasts. And so it starts then with the Sabbath, and we, we won't focus on all of this, we just want you to see a little bit how how it flows and fits together. So for, uh, back to verse 1, chapter 23. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of Yahweh that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. What are? Well, what follows? It's pointing, pointing forward. Uh, and... So you have this pronouncement of what he's going to say. Uh, these are the appointed feasts of Yahweh that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. Uh, they are my appointed feasts. And so everything that follows is bound up with these feasts, these appointed uh, feasts, uh, which is the very uh, language Moed, uh, Moed, uh, that has to do or the plural, um, Moade, um, Moade Yahweh, or Moade Adonai, uh, which have to do with these designated 
appointed times. Uh, they'll regulate uh, their years and for remembrance. Uh, and so the first then, in verse 3, uh, six days shall work be done, but on the seventh, oh, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to Yahweh in all your dwelling places. And so it begins uh, with uh, the Sabbath. Uh, in that, I mean, that's repeated throughout the year, with from week to week to week to week. Uh, with this uh, reminder, which was also a sign that God created all things in six days and rested on the seventh. Their God was the creator of all things, uh, Yahweh, uh, and that he sanctifies them. They're his holy people, just as he sanctified and blessed uh, the seventh day uh, and then gave them this day of rest, just as he rested, ceased from his work, uh, he also uh, makes his people uh, holy and sanctifies uh, them. Uh, so they're his dedicated holy people. But then in verse 4, again you have the repetition, these are the appointed feasts of Yahweh, of the holy convocations which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. And so with that repeating twice, first you have the Sabbath, now, everything that follows uh, in these units, now you will have seven feasts. And so if you include the Sabbath, then you'll have eight at the end of it. Uh, with tabernacles, Day of Atonement would be seventh. Uh, or, following the, the second time this phrase is used, these are the appointed feasts of Yahweh, the Holy Convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them, uh, then you have, um, I believe it's tabernacles or booths at the end, which would uh, then be, if you don't start from the Sabbath, would be seventh. So there's kind of a layer in how all these things are ordered and structured, whether you include the Sabbath or not. Uh, but because by repeating this phrase, it kind of... Uh, after verse 4, all the other feasts are kind of grouped together. And then, uh, but then before that, you have the Sabbath uh, as well. Uh, that's uh, related to the feasts, but uh, also uh, set apart. Uh, and so, uh, throughout here, it goes, uh, you have this repetition of uh and the BSB has these appointed uh, feasts, um, holy convocations, but they're these uh, appointed, uh, designated uh, times, or uh, Bible Sense Lexicon has an appointed festival, a festival that occurs at an appointed time. And so that just shows that as you're looking at creation, uh, you can have these elements of, of these uh, periods that have to do with natural cycles, as we'll see. We'll look at some other texts, but also bound up then where God gives these feasts to Israel that also follow these patterns of weeks and the months and the years uh, that he, uh, he will establish for them as well. Uh, and also using uh, the luminaries, uh, the sun and the moon, the stars, 
uh, in these cycles uh, to set up times for, uh, for remembrance. Uh, some going back even to creation, like the Sabbath, uh, uh, the rest, but also reminded that God redeemed his people and sanctified them uh, as his uh, holy people. And then the Passover, uh, the Passover becomes one of these appointed uh, times that uh, becomes part of their cycles. And so it can be pound, uh, bound up with their, uh, it's broad enough to allow the feasts that God uh, appoints for them. Uh, and then you have the, well, the Passover, uh, which is also paired with uh, unleavened bread. Sabbath, Passover, unleavened bread. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, uh, you have the feast of the uh, the first fruits and the feast of weeks grouped together. So you have another couple feasts there. Uh, feast of trumpets, fifth, uh, the first 23. Day of Atonement, sixth or seventh, if you include the Sabbath at the very beginning. Uh, and then Feast of Booths, seventh or eighth, if you include the Sabbath, verse 33. Uh, and it concludes. Uh, verse 37, these are the appointed feasts, these designated uh, appointed times. So now let's go to uh, Jeremiah. Yeah. Is there significance in the Sabbath being included with these where Christians today don't necessarily follow... <laughs> all of these prescribed feasts, but some people claim that we still need to follow the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And having that in the list of these other feasts seems kind of significant to that point. Yeah, yeah, that's an uh, argument that many make, and I made, like when dealing with these things uh, back in uh, was, uh, doing biblical <laughs> studies in college. Uh, and so, yeah, all these bound together, these Sabbaths, uh, these rests, these days of rest, uh, yeah, very centrally in the fourth commandment, uh, you have uh, you have the this weekly pattern, uh, but you also have this group and bound up in the law in the Torah with these other feasts uh, in these periods of rest, uh, which are tied up. Uh, also, I mean, if we were to read on, maybe. Uh, we study this sometimes, so we'll have to move through Genesis so we can get to Leviticus. Uh, because the flow of these things that go into like the next section, and God speaking to Moses uh, in verse 24, uh, it speaks about the, uh, well, the oil for the lamp, uh, intent of meeting, but uh, it talks about the, uh, the offerings uh, that Aaron uh, is to make. Uh, and bread for the tabernacle, uh, his provision. Uh, and so it's complex how, how it's arranged. I can't remember, but some of that might get into kind of like, also into like day six sort of pattern uh, where you have sacrifices, you have the priests, their priestly ministry. Uh, but then you have suddenly an interruption with the narrative uh, of someone blasphemes God <laughs> Uh, and he's put to death. Uh, but then following that, you have instructions, a, les a lesson for Israel about God's holiness uh, and righteousness. Then it picks back up with uh, verse 25 with the Sabbath year. 
uh, in the year of Jubilee, bringing sort of this completion, uh, this fullness. Um, again, in chapter 25, the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, and so that might be kind of a seventh unit uh, that holds these together and it relates uh, with the Sabbath year in the, the Jubilee and you have all these rests, uh, all, all these rests, uh, rest from, from work uh, with the, the Sabbath. Uh, they have the, the Passover uh, and unleavened bread, uh, the, the rest and the deliverance that they were given coming, coming out of Egypt and God passing over them and not judging them and killing their, uh, their firstborn. Uh, and uh, as you go through their, their harvests and, uh, with the Feast of First Fruits and the Feast of Weeks tied to the land, uh, and uh, the work and the labor that they uh, had to do, which is now involves drudgery uh, after the curse of the land, uh, but God's provision and blessing uh, for his people and their gratitude for uh, their provision and their rest uh, in the land uh, and from their work uh, and enjoying God's provision and blessing. Uh, in the Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, you know, bound up with rest from uh, their sin and forgiveness uh, that God provides for them uh, in the, the seventh month on the, uh, the tenth day uh, of the month. Uh, in the Feast of Booths, uh, reminding them when they were in the wilderness, uh, living in, in tents, uh, and, and they were to rest. And God provided them with manna uh, throughout the, uh, the wilderness and carried them through. Um, which eventually gets to the seven years, you have the year of release and the year of Jubilee, uh, where you also have release of Israelites from debt and from uh, indentured servitude or uh, slavery. Uh, and you have rest for the land, rest from sin, rest from work, rest from, <laughs> uh, from debt. Uh, and so it, it, it's all bound up with this, uh, this idea of rest. Rest for the people, rest for the land, rest for their servants, rest for, uh, from debt, from sin. Um, and so the, the picture is a lot, lot bigger. Uh, and as you go into Leviticus, you also have the blessings and the curses that follow after, bound up with the covenant. And so uh, there's this expectation of, um, it's like the, this rest isn't, isn't final. Yeah. So we're, oh, yeah, I was going to say, you, you can't help but read through all of these and think about Christ fulfilling so many of these so yeah. specifically. You know, he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill them. And I know we could go out way off on bunny yeah, trails yeah, on all absolutely. of that, but it's just it's so cool to see. Uh, it, it, Leviticus is an amazing book. I mean, it, once you start seeing how things are fitting together uh, and what it reveals about God and His holiness and uh, His purposes uh, for His His people, and you know. Um, how, how you can enjoy uh, God's blessing and provision and, um, and, and not come under uh, the, the curse. Um, it's, it's a really uh, rich book with deep, deep theology. And you, you can't even, you can't understand the rest of the Bible uh, fully apart, apart from it. I mean, you can't understand a book like Hebrews or what Jesus uh, came to do. And I remember as you go through uh, some of these things and he talks about like rest for the land uh, rest f for the people God will say 
because the land is mine. The people are mine. <laughs> it's all mine. It's all mine. You know, the earth is mine. Everything is mine. And so he, he gives rest uh, to his people, and that's why they release them from indentured servitude, because they're mine. Uh, they belong to God. And so let's now go to Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 7. And so here we see these designated times bound up with uh, feasts that follow the, the patterns of, of the days and the years and weeks and months. Jeremiah 8. Verse uh, 7. Or sorry, verse 4, actually. Uh, you shall say to them, so God speaking to Jeremiah, you shall uh, say to them, Thus says Yahweh, when men fall, do they not rise again? If one turns away, does he not return? Why then has this people turned away in perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I have paid attention and listened, but they have not spoken rightly. No man relents of his evil, saying, What have I done? Uh, what have I done? Uh, everyone turns to his own course. Uh, like a horse plunging headlong into battle, even the stork in the heavens knows her times, and the turtle dove, swallow, and crane keep the time of their coming. But my people know not the rules of Yahweh. And so here in verse 7, you have these examples of uh, when men fall, do they not rise again? Uh, if one turns away, does he not return? Of course, no, just and dust themselves off if they fall on the ground, but uh, not so uh, with God's uh, rebellious, uh, backsliding uh, people. Uh, and then you have this uh, illustration, uh, verse 7, even the stork in the heavens knows her uh, times. Moadea, uh, uh, or Moadea. Um, and so, same word with these designated point definite times uh, and the turtle doves swallow and crane a uh, keep of uh, the the time another word for time uh, of their coming uh, and so just in the created order uh, for the stork in uh, the heavens and the turtle dove swallow and crane uh, they know their times uh, they know the time of their uh, coming and so bound up with their life cycles and their migrations and mating and uh, all, all of these things within uh, the, the created order. Uh, and so here we see this creation imagery uh, and how not only used for, for feasts, uh, but just the, the created order, the, the designated, appointed, uh, fixed uh, times uh, bound up with the periods of year and, and the seasons and, uh, and even uh, beyond. Uh, life cycles, migration patterns, uh, just with uh, the activity 
of all of the creatures and animals and uh, humanity. Uh, but my people know not uh, the rules of Yahweh. Uh, and then as he goes through this, uh, I think he even draws on more of this creation imagery. Uh, but we should move on. Let's see, go to Psalm uh, 104, verse uh, 19. I think he draws a more creation imagery as you get toward the end of the chapter. And so here uh, you have a lot of creation imagery throughout the psalm. Uh, it talks about the animals in verse 18. Uh, the high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. Uh, verse 19. Uh, he made the moon uh, to mark uh, the seasons. Uh, for the seasons, uh, uh, the moon to, to mark uh, the seasons, and Mark really is in there, but he made the moon for the seasons, for these designated uh, definite times. Uh, the sun uh, knows its time uh, for setting. make darkness uh, and is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. Uh, the young lions roar for their prey, uh, seeking their food from God. Uh, when the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens, creeping about in the darkness at night, uh, going into their dens. When the sun rises uh, by day, man goes out to his work and his labor until the evening, uh, until the evening. O oh, Yahweh, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. Uh, the earth is full of your creatures. Uh, and so here you see these other patterns of time uh, that govern animal kind and humanity. But in 19, uh, he made the moon uh, for uh, the seasons, for the uh, definite pointed times. Uh, the sun knows its time uh, for seven. So natural uh, cycles. And so now let's uh, transition from the, these, these appointed times, uh, which here for, for signs and seasons, for days and years, uh, here you have all these time periods just bound up with the, the created order. But then also God will use those uh, those periods for the feasts for, for Israel and for uh, his creatures. Uh, but then with signs, and so first I want to look, just look at uh, what it does mean. We discussed some of this, but I want to touch on some other uh, texts a little bit. Uh, and then what it doesn't mean. Uh, go ahead and go to uh, Genesis uh, 9. We'll be looking at that. Uh, but first, uh, with the, this word for sign, which we use for signs for covenants and uh, different markers that they place, sometimes uh, with piles of stones or uh, all sorts of things, uh, since it's paired with seasons uh, most closely, uh, and then 
uh, for days and years. Uh, with all these uh, time indicators, uh, for absolutely certain, it's bound up just with the natural markers, uh, indicators of uh, the regular patterns of life. Uh, and for all of the uh, days and uh, weeks and months and years and seasons uh, throughout life, uh, closely bound up with this and weather and climate uh, and, and all those things, uh, like, likely also, uh, we're seeing some of the ideas just with human activity, animal activity, navigation, agriculture, uh, all of these things of, of life. Uh, and well, look just in uh, Genesis, let's see, chapter 9. Actually, at the end of 8, you see God's promise uh, in verse 22. He promises not to uh, strike down every living creature again as he has done uh, in a flood. Verse 22, while the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. And so again, you have these periods and blocks of time, uh, small and big, and, and all of the seasons, which fit the pattern that we see going back to, uh, to day four and beginning within uh, creation uh, itself. But then, as you go into uh, chapter nine, you see how he can even use a uh, created thing uh, look in uh, verse uh, 12. Uh, verse 12, uh, and God said, uh, this, is, uh, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all generations. So Noah, his sons, all their offspring after them. So with all humanity, all of the creatures, all of creation. Uh, you see God's common grace not to wipe out all the earth in a flood again. And so this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. But when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So God puts his bow, which is a weapon, but you also have a rainbow. Uh, he uh, basically sets it in the heavens. So it's maybe kind of like hanging up his bow uh, in, the, in the heavens. Probably bound up with some of that imagery. Uh, the, the word uh, uh, keshet, uh, or keshet, uh, same word for bow and arrow. Bow, we have rainbow. Bow, bow, 
Bowling era. So, so we, we similar uh, sort of sort of thing, but bound up. It's a sign of the covenant, uh, and it may not be the first time that there was ever a rainbow. It's kind of like uh, Jesus uh, takes the Passover or elements of the Passover, and he uses that as the sign of the new covenant. Uh, and he puts new meaning, uh, new significance uh, into it. Uh, and there may have been, I have to look into it again, there may have been some people who use like circumcision, but for, at the very least, for Abraham uh, and the people, God gives uh, this symbol, this significance uh, for, for them. I'd have to look into that again uh, historically. Uh, but... And so certain things, God can use a created thing and then use it as a sign and give it a significance bound up with this covenant, uh, kind of like the, uh, the Sabbath. He made that a sign of the covenant uh, at Sinai, mediated through Moses to the people, and it's first made a sign of that covenant. It's the very sign of the covenant, which also shows how it's bound up not just at the feasts, uh, and to violate it, they're to be put to death. Uh, which sounds kind of civil, you know, if you break up and try and break up the moral civil ceremonial. Um, but ceremonial, it's a sign of the covenant. It's the, the very part of the fourth commandment. But you have this week pattern that was established at creation uh, of weeks. Uh, they even start keeping the Sabbath uh, as they come out with the Passover, and the Passover is on the 14th day, and then they have 21st day, unleavened bread, and God instructs them to keep their Passovers as they come into the wilderness. But he's going to make that then the sign of the, the covenant uh, that he'll give to them. And so you have this sort of created pattern that goes back to creation, but he gives this significance. And so for the, the bow uh, in, in the clouds uh, above, we made a rainbow uh, before, but uh, now with the significance, now it's not luminary, but you have this, uh, the, the same language of a sign uh, bound up with these, uh, with the heavens. Uh, and then go to, let's see, uh, we'll quickly read Exodus 31. I'll pick up the pace of it. We've looked at this, so we won't really go into it again. Exodus 31, verse 12. And Yahweh said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, uh, that you may know that I, Yahweh, sanctify you. Uh, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to Yahweh. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, uh, and on the seventh day 
he rested and was refreshed. Uh, and he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of testimony, uh, tablets of stone written with uh, the finger of God. And so the Sabbath is the very sign of the covenant. And so we'll see some of this more imagery of signs Jesus will even talk about for the weather patterns, uh, where you have bound up with these other things like these uh, seasons or appointed definite times, uh, days and years, so bound up with the created order, these these indicators uh, for the cycles of time and for uh, activity of animal and human life, but it can also be used for a sign, or you have the sign of the rainbow, but then bound up with the luminaries, sign of the covenant, of the very weeks, the, the cycle of, of work and rest, uh, with the cycle of the days and evening uh, and morning after the pattern of uh, creation. And so you have sort of these natural periods, uh, and something a little extraordinary or, uh, as far as signs of the covenant, but bound up with the natural periods of time. But sign may be broad enough too that at the very least, you have these natural cycles and time periods in creation, and that's what creation is focused on. I mean, if you're reading your first time through sort of the creation account, but if you're an Israelite and you have background and you know the feasts and uh, the appointed times that have been established, as you read Genesis, and you also know what's coming, but, you know, they had these feasts, they had the Sabbath uh, that they uh, kept, you could see how sign how these themes are going to be developed throughout Genesis, uh, which can even allow for a broad enough for extraordinary signs uh, as God performs uh, miracles and signs and uh, wonders. So let's go from sort of the basic created, natural, uh, to these extraordinary uh, signs in the Kielin Dilich, uh, say, for signs... Uh, Partly as portents of extraordinary events uh, and divine judgments. Partly as showing the different quarters of the heavens and as prognosticating the changes in the weather. Uh, so, for instance, uh, Exodus 7. At the beginning, uh, and Yahweh uh, said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. Uh, your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. And it, it might be uh, basically God to Pharaoh, um, but uh, uh, Yahweh said, uh, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. So as a uh, God is God to Moses and speaks to Moses. Uh, God is over Moses. Uh, Moses is over Pharaoh. I've made you uh, like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. This is God's prophet. Aaron is his prophet. Uh, you shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. 
but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. So he'll multiply his signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Uh, and go to Exodus 10, verse 21. And so now, you may have these natural cycles in creation, but is it any surprise that God uses the created order that he established for signs and wonders and portents, even for extraordinary miraculous signs that he gives, uh, pr pronounces through his authoritative spokesman? And so the, the ninth plague, uh, darkness, verse 21 uh, then Yahweh said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, uh, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. Uh, they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. So for this period of three days, cycle of day and night, evening and morning, Israel has light, the Egyptians do not. Uh, in the highest evolution and pinnacle of their God uh, as Atum, uh, the one, the oneness that comes from the sea, evolves into the sun, Horus, as he reaches the zenith uh, at, the, at the noonday. Uh, becomes uh, also called Ray, uh, identified as the phoenix and the scarab. It is very pinnacle and zenith in the heavens uh, above uh, darkness. The assault on, I'll bring judgments upon Pharaoh, the Egyptians, and their gods. Uh, so how, how great... You know, as their God, when God just wipes them out for three days, uh, no more. And so it's, for the Egyptians, it's like total unraveling of uh, the, I almost don't want to call it the created order because it's not a creation. You know, the, the order of their deities and uh, uh, the cosmos. Uh, and so a uh, darkness for three days, uh, and those three days may be uh, the days of the week, days Four through uh, six could maybe be the early, but I think bound up with four through six because it's leading up to the Passover, which will be on the uh, the fourteenth day uh, as we come to the, the final plague, the, the destruction of the of the firstborn. And so, uh, one of the days of darkness is the fourth day of the week. You have these creation themes uh, with the the plagues that uh, that come through. And so these three uh, days of uh, darkness uh, in the, the land of Egypt. Uh, and then, let's see, with uh, Joshua, uh, verse 10, 
chapter 10? Yep, or chapter 10, thank you. Uh, verse 12. And God brings uh, hailstones down upon their uh, enemies and routes them. So you have hailstones being cast down from, uh, from heaven. Uh, then verse 12, at that time Joshua spoke to Yahweh in the day when uh, Yahweh gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. He said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, uh, and moon, in the valley of Ijalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not root, uh, written in the book of uh, Jasher or Yashar, uh, Book of the Upright? Uh, the sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when Yahweh heeded the voice of a man, for Yahweh fought for Israel. So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gil, Gilgal. So there, obviously... Here you have this, I mean, it's a sign, uh, it's a wonder, it's a miracle, this extraordinary event. And so God uses these ordinary, uh, these, these created objects in, in creation, uh, but you see these themes of how he even uses them, uh, not just in sort of ordinary ways for the cycles of creation and animal and human life, but uh, for uh, extraordinary miracles uh, as well. And so that's what sign means it allows for these things uh, especially for the ordinary cycles uh, but also uh, extraordinary uh, but uh, what it does not mean uh, is it's not advocating astrology divination uh, looking uh, to uh, discern uh, the secret unrevealed will of God or the gods or uh, nature fate Good luck or fortune or uh, to, to govern uh, govern those things and so as we've looked like throughout Deuteronomy thirteen eighteen uh, about true and false prophets uh, if they give a sign or a wonder the thing comes about and comes true uh, but they say let's go and serve other gods uh, you shall not listen to that prophet there to put him to death even if it's from their own people uh, Deuteronomy eighteen uh, that if they uh, give a sign or uh, say what will come to pass and it does not happen or come true, you shall not be afraid of that prophet. And as in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, uh, that we may do all the words of this law. Uh, and in uh, Jeremiah, I guess is the end of that. I guess we didn't read that. Uh, Jeremiah... 10 verse 2, uh, thus says Yahweh, learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vanity. Now read it one more time. Learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vanity. 
So they'd look to the heavens uh, in, uh, for, for good and bad omens. Uh, they, they'd see ill omens in the heavens and portents, uh, looking to the heavens and to, uh, to divine the future uh, in fate. Uh, but God uh, says not to do like the nations. Uh, do not learn uh, the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the sight of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them, for the customs of the people are vanity. Uh, Israel, often the peoples, would act just like the nations around them. Uh, like in Isaiah, uh, you see where uh, even with Ahaz, Hezekiah's father, they're going to the mediums and the necromancers and the, the diviners, uh, it was in like chapter 8, uh, but uh, they, they were to stick to the, what the, to the teaching and the testimony, to, to God's law, to what was revealed through his authoritative uh, prophets uh, and spokesmen. And so uh, we spoke a little bit last week about Jonathan Kahn. You remember hearing about like all the blood wounds and all that yeah. stuff? Uh, Jonathan Kahn is a false prophet. Uh, and there are people uh, who were... Uh, supporting uh, this false prophet far and wide, like over the radio uh, and such. Uh, on Jan Martell show and, and others, uh, I heard some say that she repented of that, or, um, you know, I, I haven't heard what, uh, what sort of statement she gave, but yeah, it, well, it did not come to pass, it did not come true. And, you know, I write people that are kind of like, yeah, it's kind of interesting or whatever. No, no, no. You're not to look to any of that. Uh, signs like in Joel or Isaiah, the you have the sun shall uh, become black, dark, uh, and the moon as blood uh, before the great and terrible day of Yahweh. Um, that's from an authoritative spokesman and prophet. Uh, but they were trying to use like Genesis to allow for divination and astrology. And, you know, we, we can look and start reading uh, the signs around us. Um, but it's forbidden in scripture and uh, condemned uh, in the strongest uh, terms. Uh, and just quickly go to, let's go to Matthew 16. Which kind of connects some of these things. As we come to an end. But I think about Paul, uh, Eric will be teaching as he goes through the, the pastoral epistles, First, Second Timothy, and Titus. Uh, he warns and warns again about people having their ears tickled and, and keeping up uh, teachers that uh, tickle their ears and uh, something that sounds uh, interesting or uh, to their liking. And he warns about uh, myths and speculations and uh, vain discussions and uh, all of these things, reverent, silly, uh, silly myths. Uh, even says, uh, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching by having itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Don't listen to all the, the myths and speculations uh, that are uh, out there. Uh, Matthew 16, verse 1. And here we'll see 
kind of both elements, the ordinary and the extraordinary with science. Uh, The Pharisees and Sadducees came uh, and well, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees came uh, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. What's the sign from heaven? You know, maybe think of Joel or Isaiah 13 or Daniel. Uh, He answered them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. Uh, and in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. So they're looking for an extraordinary sign from the heavens, asking for one. When Jesus has been doing all these miracles around them and healing the sick and casting out demons and blind and lame and uh, feeding uh, 4,000 and 5,000 and, and all of this, they come ask, asking for another sign from, uh, from the heavens uh, to test him. And Jesus says, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red and in the morning it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening Luke has some of these things too with the uh, coming of the clouds from the west and and the wind uh, from the south bringing heat. Uh, You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky uh, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. And so signs, indicators, markers of weather weather patterns uh, that they can observe uh, with the rising and setting of the sun uh, wind cycles and such think of winter or summer, but uh, they're looking for an extraordinary sign, uh, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times uh, there with the coming of God in the flesh, uh, the uh, suffering, resurrected, uh, exalted, uh, anointed uh, king. They don't even recognize who's in their midst with all, all of the signs and fulfillments that are happening uh, right uh, before their eyes. And so science has sort of this, these broad usages. And so here you, kind of, you have the ordinary, the extraordinary weather, um, sign from heaven, sign of the times, prophecy, uh, but also the inappropriate signs that they're looking for uh, that are forbidden, the secret will of God. And when God doesn't, uh, doesn't offer or give a sign through his authoritative spokesman, you don't go asking for one. Uh, and then let's just close uh, with uh, go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. I'll read this uh, quote. Uh, last function then is uh, to give light upon the earth. And so the separation of day and night. Uh, let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Thirdly, uh, uh, to give light upon the earth. And Victor Hamilton says, Few commentaries deny that this whole chapter has a strong anti-mythical thrust. Perhaps in no other section except the sixth day does this polemic appear so bluntly as it does here. It is sufficient to recall the proliferation of astral deities in most Mediterranean religions. Uh, the sun, the moon, and the stars are divine. 
As such, they are autonomous bodies around each of them uh, focus various kinds of religious cults and devotees. In the light of this emphasis, uh, day four, there's the first reference, uh, this passage uh, is saying that these luminaries are not eternal. Uh, they are created not to be served, but to serve. Uh, that is uh, the mandate under which they function. So they're created objects, uh, servants of God. Uh, to separate day from night, be for signs, seasons, days, and years, and to give light upon uh, the earth. We won't go into the two great lights. We did that last week and we'll briefly touch on it next week. Uh, but let's just go to Deuteronomy 4, verse 15. Uh, here uh, you see kind of this drawn together uh, lesson about God's creation uh, and idolatry. Uh, therefore, uh, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that Yahweh spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure. And it, for the most part, goes almost kind of reverse uh, through uh, creation, possibly garden too, uh, but uh, starting with man. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, or the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, or the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, or the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. See if humanity, the animals, Verse 19, and beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bowed down to them and serve them. Things that Yahweh your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But Yahweh has taken you and brought you out of, brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, but to be a people for his own inheritance, as you are to this day. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bowed down to them and serve them. And that's very central teaching uh, in Deuteronomy. Before you get into all the specific stipulations and laws, remember you have the general sort of stipulations, uh, beginning with, uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is, is one. I mean, it focuses on idolatry. You shall have no other gods uh, before me. Starts at the very beginning with the, the Ten Commandments and the first table, first four commandments uh, bound up uh, with that. And so uh, the danger of idolatry uh, is very central in understanding true account of creation, uh, the, just the greater light and the lesser light and the stars to give light upon the earth. Uh, I mean, idolatry is really to trust in uh, anything uh, but God above him uh, to, to where your trust uh, your, your fear uh, your love uh, your ultimate service and devotion uh, 
those are the things that are idols. Uh, those are the things that are uh, gods. And some of these things might seem kind of far removed, you know, worship of the sun. And especially the more you learn scripture, it seems kind of alien or whatever. But like we're surrounded by it. Uh, astrology, um, sometimes been surprised people, family members or others that I didn't even know they look at their horoscopes. Oh, I just kind of do it for fun. I don't really believe it or whatever. But, <laughs> you know, uh, we're, we're sur surrounded by fortune cookies. I mean, good luck charms that people have dream catchers or people attributing luck to some like object or charm or um, things like that. Uh, any, any of those uh, things uh, whatsoever. Uh, Paul, uh, this verse in Deuteronomy, this is where he draws on the beginning of Deuteronomy 1 with uh, idolatry. So let's make that connection and uh, let's, uh, we'll pick up next week. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you uh, that uh, you give us uh, true uh, teaching uh, of you, that you reveal yourself as the one true living creator, God, uh, and that uh, you've revealed yourself uh, ultimately through your son, uh, the light that has come into the world, uh, the, uh, the true light uh, who brings uh, light into the darkness exposes uh, the sin and evil of humanity uh, but for those who repent and trust in him uh, we know that we have the, the forgiveness uh, of sins uh, in him through his uh, once for all finished sacrifice uh, and so we thank you Lord Jesus so we thank you for uh, your finished work and that uh, you're exalted in the heavens that you rule over all things and that you will uh, come again for us uh, soon. Uh, we look forward to your coming. Amen.